X-Ray. And welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's May 6th, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today, back in the day on May 6th, 1905, the Wallawa National Forest was established. Now the Wallawa Whitman Forest, set up then by Teddy Roosevelt. The forest now goes around Hell's Canyon to Eagle's Cap. The forest is named for the Wallawa Band of the Nez Perce people, who had originally lived in the area, and Marcus and Narcissa Whitman, the Presbyterian missionaries who settled just to the north in 1836. Today on the local, your quick six headlines, Kate Lieber, candidate for Senate District 14, and a candidate roundtable on climate led by Emily Gilliland with Tara Hurst, Lori Stegman. We want to lead in Portland. We don't want to wait for others in our nation anymore. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. Kate Brown announced yesterday that certain state parks will reopen for limited day use and all ski resorts will reopen. Ski resorts reopening in May seems like small solace for the ski resorts and maybe low risk for the visitors. Reopened state parks include Tryon Creek, Willamette Mission, the Cove Palisades, Pilot Butte, and the Prineville Reservoir. Note that all recreation areas in the Columbia River Gorge remain closed for the time being, as well as most coastal areas. Campgrounds also remain closed. Officials said visitors should wear face masks and bring their own hand sanitizer, soap, water, and toilet paper. Updates will be posted online at OregonStateParks.org. Your daily dose of data. Reported coronavirus cases in Oregon do continue to climb. 72 confirmed new cases, bringing us almost to 2,850. The death toll increasing by four, sadly, to 113. Jay Inslee gave an update on Washington's COVID response. Washington began phase one of reopening the state on yesterday. Meanwhile, in Walla Walla, home of Lakeham Duckham and Whitman College, named after the same settlers after whom the National Park is named, a rise in coronavirus cases has been linked to COVID parties. The idea behind the COVID parties is that it is better to just get sick with the virus and get it over with. Walla Walla, Walla Walla, Walla Walla. The problem isn't just that you might get sick. The problem is that you might get other people sick. Anyhow, thanks for the report by Sheila Hager of the Walla Walla Union Bulletin. Amazon is being sued by a Salem worker for its coronavirus response. Anisha Yurchak, 35, alleged that she was fired for taking medical leave following apparent coronavirus infection and for speaking out about safety issues related to the outbreak. Salem's Amazon facility had about 1,000 workers before the outbreak, and last month it added about 100 to meet the rising demand. Yurchak alleges that Amazon wasn't appropriately cleaning the safety harnesses that workers wear while moving the freight. She complained about the procedures, but was forced to follow those procedures anyway. She started feeling coronavirus symptoms, was on leave from March 18th to April 14th. After arguing with her supervisor about her return, she alleges Amazon fired her for insubordination. Yurchak is seeking her lost wages, attorney fees, and punitive damages. Another story out of yesterday is the death of a Staten Island Amazon worker and an engineer who snapped when the company fired workers who called for coronavirus protections. Clackamas County mayors are asking for a decisive action plan to reopen the economy. Keith Swigart, the mayor of Malala, and mayors from Oregon City, Canby, and Gladstone and Sandy are asking for more information from Kate Brown. They voice discontent with the time frame and criteria for reopening Oregon's non-essential businesses. Reminder that Kate Brown has said she won't open rural counties until at least May 15th, and no county can reopen until it's shown it has capacity to test, trace, and treat the COVID-19 cases. Over the past 10 years, Clackamas County has been ground zero for investment efforts to try to turn Clackamas County more red. 
with hundreds of thousands of dollars spent by organizations like the Oregon Transformation Project to elect conservative candidates. Meanwhile, the World Naked Bike Ride has canceled its gathering. Planned for June 27th, organizers still encourage naked bike riding on that day, but without the central meeting place, the scheduled route, or a police escort. So instead of an orderly managed affair, it's just going to be naked bike riding willy-nilly. Note that public nudity is illegal in Portland. Court rulings have made an exception for protests. The World Naked Bike Ride is officially a protest against dependency on oil, for cyclist safety, and in support of body positivity. And 10,000 people did it last year. They don't announce the location, by the way, to avoid congregating gawkers. One year, the meeting place was Normandale Park, my dog's third favorite dog park. George Bailey was a bit confused that day and wondered why I was wearing clothes. And in car news, five more street racing arrests on Sunday night. And in car news, five more street racing arrests on Sunday night. Jordana Brewster, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Dwayne Johnson, and Vin Diesel were not reached for comment. R.I.P. Paul Walker. The Oregon League of Conservation Voters released endorsements, and here they are for U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley, Secretary of State Shamia Fagan over Jamie McLeod Skinner and Mark Haas. Carbon Rubio has been sweeping their endorsements generally, and a very hotly contested race, Tara Hurst over a bunch of candidates in position one for the city council. And the OLCV endorsed Mary Pivato for Metro over Chris Smith, Cameron Witten, and Mary Nolan. In that hotly contested race, where many of the issues Metro deals with regard land use planning, transportation, and the environment, that is an important endorsement indeed. There are a million registered Democrats in Oregon, a new milestone. As of April, Oregon had 2,862,831 registered voters, and of those, 1,006,266 were Democrats. It's the first time there have been a million members of any political party in Oregon. The second largest group of voters behind Democrats are the 962,000 voters who chose no party. Republicans came in third at 711,344. And in venue and entertainment news, Oregon music venues have banded together to lobby for financial aid to survive the coronavirus. Music venues were among the first businesses to close due to the pandemic, and they'll be among the last to reopen. Local venue owners founded the Independent Venue Coalition, representing over 100 independently run concert spaces across Oregon. And they are lobbying local and state officials for music industry-specific financial relief. Thanks for doing that. Oregon made national news for the drive through strip club. Here's Seth Myers. A strip club in Oregon is offering a drive through experience for customers in the parking lot during the coronavirus pandemic. You know it's bad when a strip club is following safety guidelines better than the vice president. Although, in his defense, I bet he wears a mask to a strip club. And shout out to Teatro Milagro, the Latinx theater, creating a series of YouTube shorts, Nueva Frontera. One more example of how creative people are building connection in the absence of public gathering space. Shout out to Lynn County on its way to becoming an Oregon leader in testing people living and working in senior care homes. Thousands of tests will be delivered and analyzed by a local commercial lab in the coming weeks. And congratulations to the very first person to test positive in Oregon for COVID-19. They've been released from the hospital. After about two months of treatment, Hector Calderon has been transferred to a skilled nursing facility to continue recovery. The popular janitor works at Forest Hills Elementary School in Lake Oswego. During his treatment, Calderon was sedated and intubated. ICU nurse Chad Cabe, who worked with Calderon, Promised him a mariachi band and a parade when he recovered from the virus. And on Monday, Cabe delivered on the promise. Congratulations. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Here's Emily Gilliland with What's Next. Thanks, Jefferson. 
First up, Kate Lieber, candidate for Senate District 14, talks with Jefferson Smith about healthcare for all, preventative mental health strategies, and building a progressive, diverse legislature in Oregon. In terms um, of thinking differently, in terms of thinking differently, yeah. what's something that uh, Mark Hass has done in the Senate that you wouldn't have done, or something that he didn't do, you would have? You know, I think. Look, Mark has done an amazing job. You can't take anything away from him. I, I, he, he's the, the um, Student Success Act, the Family Promise. He's done a really. Is, he was a tax policy wonk in a in a um, in a very difficult time through two thousand and eight. Uh, you know, I am I am likely. I think that I have probably more. Uh, more progressive than Mark might be in terms of my my policies, um, but I, I I don't think that I can point to anything that he did that I would say no I I wouldn't have done that. And what do you think changes? You go to Salem and you're you're running in a seat that's now relatively not fully safe but relatively safe Democratic yeah. seat. So it's so either you or Dick Scouten wins this primary, either you or Dick Scouten is then going to win the general and go down to Salem. What changes with Kate Lieber in the you in excuse me in the state Senate? Sure. You know, I um, well, a couple of a couple of things. You know, the 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 cultural there needs to be a cultural change in the Senate, right? I mean, uh, we've seen the Senate in many ways is broken. The Republicans have now walked out. I can't what four times. I you know they um, and and I think that our the Democratic caucus needs to um, isn't doing as much as it should to uh, be uh, progressive and. Um, and I and that is something that I would want to definitely push them on. Uh, I there also needs to be more diversity. You know, the the legislature um, and especially in the Senate lacks a lot of diversity. I would be uh, the first um, open lesbian in the Senate. I'd be younger than eighty percent of the sitting senators, and um, I would increase the number of women. Right in the Senate, there's only one third women. Um, I, I one of the very few senators that would have school-aged children, um, and that perspective is missing. So just by sending me uh, the cultural changes, um, I, I, I think that, that and, and to contrast with my opponent, I don't, you're not going to change the culture uh, by, um, by sending him. I also think that what I offer is sort of my nature and my leadership style, which is a u- unique aspect a- asset. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm highly effective. I have, I tend to, I don't tend to seek out leadership positions, but I tend to fill a void if there is a void of leadership. Every board I've ever been on, I, I eventually become the chair of it. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really because I'm someone who brings in diverse voices, who listens to uh, diverse perspectives, um, I'm an effective negotiator as a uh, attorney, as a district attorney. Um, I see a lot of different sides, and um, and I don't lose my values in the process. So I, I I think that the that that my opponent and I will vote very much the same. We will be uh, uh, he would be a solid progressive vote, uh, but I think that what passes would be quite different um, if I was sent to Salem than my opponent. Talking to Kate Lieber, candidate for the state Senate. Kate, how's the campaign treating you? We only got another minute or two. Okay. But what's the thing that's been most encouraging to you, or what's the thing that's been hardest about campaigning in the context of a global pandemic? Right. So, I mean, I think the thing that's been really encouraging for me um, 
is my endorsements. You know, I have over, uh, I think, 33 now. You know, they just they span the gamut of uh, uh, of all. Um, you know, whether it's education or healthcare or um, the trades, environmental, police and fire, pro-choice, LGBTQ. So that I, it, labor, I'm really, really proud of that. Um, I'm proud of the endorsement I just got from the Willamette Week. Um, I think that that was a, a really great thing. You know, times have changed. When when we were campaigning, we were right now we were supposed to be hitting the doors, and of course that's that you can't do that in a global pandemic. But we really shifted my campaign to a campaign of compassion. We're trying to push out um, a lot of information through through uh, social media and through other channels. Um, and I and I you know it's it's obviously the whole world is on its head and maybe people aren't uh, thinking as much about, about local politics as they might have been, but it's more important than ever that you send people to Salem who are going to fight, who are going to be the people who are going to stand up for you and who are really going to bring a different perspective. So I would just encourage your listeners to go to um, uh, kate4oregon.com and they can uh, take a look at my website um, and, you know, make an informed choice about what they're, who they should vote for. Kate Lieber, thanks for spending the time. We had some technical difficulty this morning, so it was end up being a little bit abbreviated and went over time a little bit to boot. But really well, appreciate your service and really appreciate your time. I've had a chance to talk to you and meet you before. I really enjoyed that experience. I hope we have a chance to do it again. Yep, I hope so, Jefferson. And uh, you take care. And for all of your listeners out there, I, I hope they stay healthy and safe. On Thursday, May 7th at 7 p.m., three candidates are coming together to talk about climate in an online forum. Lori Stegman, Multnomah County Incumbent District 4, Tara Hurst, candidate for Portland City Council Position 2, and Keith Wilson, candidate Portland City Council Position 4, joined us to give us an introduction. Keith, let's start with you. How did this group come together with a focus on climate? Good morning, Emily. Thank you so much for this coffee in hand and ready to talk. So Tara is a climate leader in Oregon. And for the past 10 years at my business, I've been focused on reducing carbon. And our team has worked year after year following metrics. And we we weren't able to really drive that number down as fast as we wanted, so we really knew that we needed some additional help. So Tara's been uh, helping us as far as guiding and the policies and the uh, lobbying that she's doing to try and help us move our industry forward. So she and I have become friends over the last several years, and she's somebody I admire, and so I've asked her to really help me with the climate emergency as well as helping, helping bring things that she knows to the private industry, which is what I know. And then as I was reaching out and researching for this candidacy, I noticed that East Portland, East County, had some of the highest concentrations of uh, ground poison, of air pollution. And so I reached out to Lori, and she and I have struck up a, a conversation and a friendship since then, and she's become a real leader in this area. Uh, so that's really what brought us all together. And you'll be having a town hall this Thursday, is that correct? That's right. Thursday at 7 o'clock, we're just posting the sign-up on our respective uh, websites, but the three of us are going to really talk about uh, the current and what we're going to be able to do and accomplish today to really change outcomes. Fantastic. Lori, you represent East Portland and East County. Why is this issue so important to you? 
Well, I grew up in the Rockwood neighborhood of Gresham, and so I know firsthand what marginalized communities, that they suffer from the worst air quality. And as Keith had mentioned, we quite literally have some of the dirtiest air in Multnomah County. And it's concentrated in our poorest neighborhoods in the district that I serve. So if you go to something called the Environmental Justice Screening and Mapping Tool that's published by the EPA, you can see that the Rockwood and the surrounding neighborhoods there have the highest concentration of particulate matter in Multnomah County. And that's just simply unacceptable, and we must do better. So that's why the issue is so important to me. And, Laurie, can you speak a bit more to the disparity that one can find in that data, especially around uh, disparity um, with income and air quality? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, Keith and I, uh, we've, we've had some great conversations, and we were talking about how in East County a lot of uh, folks aren't talking about the connection between uh, economic mobility and poor air quality. So uh, if you go to my county website, you'll find something called the Economic Mobility Marginalization Index, along with a visual that outlines the drivers of economic mobility. And really what we're talking about is generational poverty. And one of the components there is environmental justice. And so there's a graph and some data there, and it's GIS data, Geographical Information System data, broken down by census tract. And it's part of the policy work that I'm doing around addressing generational poverty. And when you look at that, you'll see that the Rockwood neighborhood ranks significantly low, almost near the bottom, in educational attainment, voter turnout, and median income and at the same time has high levels of food insecurity, foster care, single parent households, and unemployment. So when you marry all of this data together, we know that these factors contribute to generational poverty and poor health. Mm -hmm. And so we have to analyze these variables not only individually, but collectively. And that's how we get to good policies so that we can make systemic change and help people rise out of poverty. So to me and to many others, this is not only a health issue, but it is a poverty issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tara, tell us about the work of Renew Oregon. What is Renew Oregon? Um, Yeah, so Renew Oregon is an intersectional statewide coalition that's been focused on um, the transition to a clean energy economy. And we're made up of a lot of different interest groups. We have business, environmental organizations, farms and ranches, um, frontline community groups, labor, and healthcare. And it's really taught me a lot about kind of how to create a, a great climate plan. Um, so with Renew, what we've, uh, what we've been pushing and, and what we know is that how we transition to a clean energy economy is just as important as making the transition. So we have an opportunity to ensure that the communities, especially the ones that Lori was talking about, are most impacted, our frontline communities hit first and worst by pollution. They should be the ones benefiting first from any investments and the benefits of a clean energy transition, which are good, good paying family wage jobs that can't be outsourced. And what Renew um, was able to do, as many people know, we've been uh, the force behind a cap and invest bill and lobbying down in Salem for the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, obviously 
some of the same folks who've been out protesting um, to open the state back up, but we're also the ones that were protesting against our climate action uh, that we've been trying to move in the state. Uh, we were able to secure the most broadest sweeping climate action plan uh, that the governor signed on March 10th. Um, and so that is a, you know, the most uh, ambitious sweeping climate action that our state's ever seen. And now Renew Oregon is working on the rulemaking and making sure that the deep, you know, the devil is in the details and making sure that we'll be able to hit these ambitious targets that we've set. And Tara, what makes this plan the most ambitious? So this is, um, it, it goes after kind of every sector um, and ensures that we are looking at our landfills, we're looking at our food waste. Um, it, it creates uh, 25, currently we're at 10% for our uh, low carbon fuel standards, our clean fuels, mm -hmm. and this increases it to 25% which is the strongest in the nation. Mm. And this is a program that makes the fuel we use as a state cleaner over time and better for the, for the climate. And so, you know, there's also uh, our building codes. Our building codes have fallen behind uh, the state and, and the state for, for years. And now thanks to this climate action plan, all new buildings um, across the state will need to be at net zero by 2030. Um, and that means that they need to produce as much renewable power as they use. So, you know, when our buildings waste less energy, we'll be, um, we'll be saving money as, you know, as, as residents and as also as businesses. And we work with, uh, you know, a really broad um, statewide youth activists and advocates. And, you know, their fear is real and it's not something that's just been planted um, this is, you know, true anxiety, and so it's also going to um, study that. So it it looks at the whole view instead of just one component. Mm. And Tara, you've been working on climate policy in Salem, as you mentioned. Of course, the legislature has been plagued with walkouts over the last two sessions over climate policy. What do you see as the next step? How are we going to break through and keep folks in Salem to actually vote something into action? You know, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I've been really disheartened by what's happened in Salem and the uh, toxicity that's happened down there, which is part of why I'm running for city council. Um, I, you know, when, uh, when Mayor Hales, who I was his chief of staff, uh, went to uh, the Vatican to, you know, the Pope had brought all the city leaders together and said that you are the ones that are going to solve this climate crisis. I, I think now more than ever, and Salem has kind of proven that, at least for now, um, until we get a, a hold on our, um, you know, some of our campaign contributions and, and all of the other influencers, we need to do as much as we possibly can in the cities. And, you know, if, if Salem taught me nothing, it's that Portland's uh, climate action plan is more important than ever, that we don't just write a plan, but we actually... Um, implement the critical components. Mm -hmm. Now, Keith, you might seem to some an unlikely partner in this work as president of Titan Freight Systems, which you know includes trucking. What brings you to this table? You know, I love listening to Tara because mm -hmm. she is one of the drivers in this, and I can tell the frustration. But what 
what brings me to this is just an absolute focus on reducing carbon because the climate emergency is real. And while we always talk about aspiration, the exciting part right now is, is that we have action. And Tara was at the part of that. We have our clean fuels program where for each gallon we purchase, we're putting about three cents into a pot and those credits are going to reduce renewable fuels. And so Titan, our company, is the first and largest carrier to bring in renewable diesel to use in our fleet. And so what I want to really focus on is the positive aspect of what we can do today. It's no more waiting for the state legislator to move. We can't rely on them. They've proven that. Mm -hmm. They're great people, but we understand politics is at hand. But when each of you walk outside your door today, look to Mount Hood and or the stars tonight, and you're going to see what an atmosphere or a sky with 60% less carbon looks like because I bring in 10,000 gallons at a time in a tank load and I use renewable diesel and it emits 60% less carbon per gallon. It almost seems like a dream, but the technology is here. So the reason why I'm running for Portland City Council is I know the technology. Uh, with Tara's expertise, my knowledge, we need to be bringing that to Portland and using because we can gain those benefits today. We don't have to wait anymore. So think about reduced carbon by 60%. And then particulate matter per gallon is 30% less. And that's the health benefit that Lori and her constituency is going to gain. I'm from North Portland. I'm from the poorest neighborhood in North Portland. And I looked at the same mapping guide that Lori looked at. She and I grew up in the two poorest with the worst air pollution in the city and so you couldn't have two better people really working towards improving health outcomes, but also climate outcomes. And that's, that's extraordinary. And so this technology is here. It is cost effective. It improves miles per gallon. It reduces maintenance costs. And so my peer group is ready to go. And I want to lead not only Portland, but my entire peer group to reduce carbon today. So that's really what drives me. So I know that we seem disheartened, but we shouldn't be because the technology is here and this is only available in Oregon because of our clean fuels program that our governor and people like Tara passed back in 2015. So we're ready. We're ready for a for really a new tomorrow, but we don't have to wait anymore, Emily. Mm. What are some of the reasons why Portland has some of the worst air quality in the country? Uh, so, I mean, I think that it's a lot of what Keith has talked about. We we have our, you know, these the diesel engines. You you have much stricter uh, emissions controls down in California, and so those those trucks come come north. And um, you know, in, until we really get a handle on some of our high traffic areas and high industry areas, I think a lot of people are surprised if they're. There are absolutely terrible air quality um, in East Portland and East County and also on the west side um, from the indus industrial uh, sectors. So we have to, you know, we have higher rates of asthma, lung disease, um, and heart disease, and, and that's a real consequence. Um, these are not just talking about whether or not we can breathe cleaner air and I think that that's where where this gets lost and why it's so important it's similar to looking at this uh, you know highly contested uh, uh, road corridor expansion um, when you're talking about adding a lot more of that air pollution right next to a school 
and, you know, on high traffic corridors where our kids' lungs are being formed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really dangerous, and this is stuff that, that lasts forever. This isn't something that, you know, is just going to go away. So we need to be much more thoughtful and uh, when we're coming to our city planning and we're, we're talking about um, we shouldn't be planning just around cars anymore. We should be planning around how do we move people around the city? How do we get TriMet to be able to ditch their, their dirty diesel buses quicker? Um, every bus, I believe, stays on the road for at least 13 years. Um, and so we really need to, um, as a city and as a state, commit to moving our fleet. The city of Portland needs to commit to moving its fleet and show and kind of model that good behavior. And we need to be um, investing in infrastructure that will allow for um, people to move to fully electric vehicles. Mm. And Keith, again, tell us about the town hall on Thursday that you all are convening. What will you be covering? So we'll be covering what we just discussed, but more in depth in a more comprehensive manner as to, you know, what what are the health outcomes that we're experiencing now? Because we can't see this, it still is affecting us and our health significantly. We have Erica Moison, who is a, a lung doctor, and she's going to be talking to us about X-ray. the health consequences of not taking action. And so we'll be talking about how do we take action and how do we take action today to really change our air quality. We want to lead in Portland. We don't want to wait for others in our nation anymore. And just the seriousness of the emergency and that how we can tackle it today. Fantastic. And Tara, where can folks find out more about Renew Oregon as well as your candidacy for Portland City Council? Yeah, so Renew Oregon is, um, they can go online or follow us on all of our different social media um, handles. It's reneworegon.org. And um, you can learn more about my candidacy uh, at Tara, T-E-R-A-F-O-R-P-D-X.com. Thank you. And I hope to get everyone's vote so that we can make Portland a climate-forward city again. Thank you for that, Tara. And Keith, how about your campaign website? It is KeithForPortland.com. And I second, Tara, Portland should be the cleanest city in the nation, not the worst city. And so please join us in that. Thank you so much, you two. And thanks to Lori as well for joining us this morning. Thank you, Emily, very much. Thanks so much, Emily. Again, that Climate Town Hall is this Thursday at 7 p.m. You can find out more on the campaign websites of Keith Wilson and Tara Hurst. Thanks, Emily, and thanks, Kate, Lori, Tara, and Keith for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. You can go and check out the new Facebook page if you'd like. But most importantly, please do rate and review the podcast and share it. We really do spend the time making the podcast. We don't have a big marketing budget. There's a bunch of people working to put this together. The argument has been that a daily local news podcast is a hard thing to do, and it is a hard thing to do. But we believe it's a really needed thing, a really useful thing in the community. If you agree, please share it with friends. And if you have story ideas, please send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. We can be together while we're apart. Talk to you tomorrow. And in the meantime, stay home, stay connected, and thank you, democracy. X-Ray.